Welcome to the Autoimmune Podcast with a YOU. In this podcast, we interview guest autoimmune warriors and researchers and try to get answers to some of the toughest questions in the autoimmune space so you can live your best life. I'm your co-host, Elise McKenzie. And I'm Melanie Igwe. Let's start the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Autoimmune Podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. April Moreno, founder of the Autoimmune Community Institute, a nonprofit dedicated to autoimmune health equity. Also the founder of the Public Health Podcast Network and lives in Southern California with her husband and her service dog. Thanks so much for being here, April. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Moreno, for you being on. So, yeah, I'm really curious. Tell us about your life leading up to the formation of the ACI. Sure. Okay. So that's an interesting story, an interesting question. So I was doing my PhD in public health and I only knew about chronic disease in terms of what we often talk about, like heart disease, obesity, stroke, smoking, maybe even a little bit of substance abuse. But for the most part, people talk about type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure as chronic disease. And so when I was doing my third year of my postdoc, I quit a kind of toxic public health job. It was a fellowship and immediately I started having strange symptoms in my body. I was already catching lots of colds. I was already just kind of overall depressed and not feeling well with this job. But, um, and also, you know, having the dissertation um, kind of in the background, kind of hanging on my back, still trying to finish that. And as soon as I quit this job, I wanted to go celebrate quitting this toxic environment. But that's when like the worst of my health conditions began. So I went on a plane, went to Vegas to try and celebrate, but instead I had the worst panic attack of my life, you know, trying to celebrate quitting this job. And then soon after that started having strange numbness and blindness in my eye, um, problems with my feet, burning feet, all kinds of strange things were happening. So I was kind of blind in one eye for several months. And um, so basically after that, I realized that this was not normal and this was not minor, was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition soon after that. So that's how the ACI began. I graduated still, thankfully, within four years and um, still alive, um, diagnosed and started to do a postdoc on autoimmune uh, health equity topics and found that there was huge disparity in the way that people are included in research, the way that autoimmune diseases were represented. And so that's how ACI began. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So that kind of leads me into my next question. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what helped you create the Institute was your own experience. So that was, I'm guessing, you know, your inspiration, but you touched a little bit on the inequities How did that play into your goal, the larger goal of the Institute when you began it? It began as kind of this um, combination of research and continuation of the work that I was already doing in my postdoc, not getting hired as a professor due to a couple of factors. I was invited to an interview, and that's usually a pretty promising sign for the most part, um, possibly being able to get that job. But I just, everywhere I went, I felt like I was seeing these different types of microaggressions and equities and ways that people are treated poorly in certain circumstances. The disrespect I receive from certain people that you don't think I highly perceive and highly think that not everyone gets that level of disrespect. Um, So I was seeing that and I chose to say no to that. 
And so starting the Institute began as this endeavor to do my own research, to work on community-based research. We saw that there was a huge lack of inclusion and, um, you know, being someone who is in this diverse space of people with, you know, I found groups where there were people on Facebook with thousands of women and others with of people of color with my autoimmune conditions that were not represented. Uh, so that's kind of how it, this got started. So it was kind of this extension of making research better, making research more inclusive, and also being part of the creation of the of the research within communities. So that's how ACI got started. We're dedicated to um, CBPR, which is a process of community-based participatory research so that when we conduct research, the goal is to include our community in every step of that process. So they have a voice and they have ownership in the research. Yeah, I love that. I, I would love to talk a little bit more about the CBPR. I think we talked about it when we first met a couple of months back and it was really intriguing to me. And I think it's an, unfortunately, maybe a new concept for a lot of people who might be listening. So could you walk us through an example of, you know, maybe a time that CBPR was used and what that actually looks like in practice? Mm-hmm. CBPR uh, requires a lot of trust. It requires a lot of the community trusting you. Uh, so you have to have that established first. And so it is basically people being part of the research from deciding, like, so you would maybe set up a focus group or you would interview a few people that you know um, that are part of the community that you want to represent or include um, to write about or research on. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, how we are a little different from the traditional CBPR. But um, so you would include people in focus groups or in, you know, in these meetings and together you would brainstorm on what important facets of a research study uh, need to be done. So, for example, let's say, you know, if it's on substance abuse, right, um, you would want to together decide what aspect of substance abuse is the biggest problem right now and what should we research. So then from there, allowing the community to participate at any level that they choose. Some people might really want to do interviews. Some people might just want to share their feedback. Some people um, might be interested in the data collection process. You know, so we we like to cult- cultivate and nurture future researchers as well. So people who have never done this, you know, we have community-based, um, what are they called? You know, promotores, um, often mm. they call them in Spanish, but they're community health workers, right? So, um, so similar to that would be, you know, people who like to do outreach. So would you be willing to help us, you know, get more participants in this study? Um, are you interested in writing or editing? Would you be interested in conducting the research and writing, contributing to the authorship of this paper? And so, you know, that is also a new trend, um, having patients as part of the authorship in research studies, which is really cool. So we have that opportunity for our community as well. And then also the opportunity to present on the topic that we've just completed research on to be part of, again, the authorship at a conference or for a publication um, and also to be able to publish and present on those findings. Uh, so any level um, that they're interested in participating in, we welcome. And it is an ongoing process. We were about two years old now. And um, so some of the work that we're doing is still in process. But whatever we're doing, we want to make sure that people don't feel excluded. Uh, we want to make sure that we are capturing the perspectives and the important parts of that research, what is important to and relevant to our community uh, is what we focus on. 
I absolutely love that. And from personal, just anecdotally or personally, when people are able to connect with people that are from similar backgrounds, share similar life experiences, the conversations that you can have are much more rewarding and people are really open to the information that they're receiving, right? Because there's like a layer of trust that's established. So I think that's like incredible and really leads me into my next question, right? So how do you feel your intersectional identities, so across gender, race, and ethnicity, have really shaped your experience and really helped you promote pushing forward kind of these new paradigms with how to approach research and how to really get more representation in research? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was spoiled because I grew up in Los Angeles, so it's a highly diverse city. I thought that every city looked like that. I thought that this is what really real Americans look like, you know, they look like people like me, Um, even though, you know, traveling (laughs) ridiculously, the first place I went to, because I was a a big U2 fan in high school, I went to Ireland. It was the biggest shock of my life. Um, I was stared at like an alien. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, everything was just like, I don't see you on TV. You you don't look like Baywatch. You don't look like, you know, all this stuff that's on TV. You're not from LA, you're not American. So that was the biggest shock of my life. So just finding this lack of representation in every aspect of of society is what I started to find out, right? Um, So being mixed as well, you know, I'm Latina, I'm Asian. We also have a grandfather who is half Black, African-American. And, you know, to me, that's normal. I mean, that's in America, it's a normal American experience. Just knowing that unusually, for whatever strange reason, that that is not common in research. That's not common in representation. It's not common in these discussions. Um, So that's kind of what shapes my experience, um, making sure that people have a voice, people are included, and um, just knowing and sharing the fact that diversity does exist. It's not a side thing. It's not, you know, a nice to have. It's a requirement. It's something that, you know, this is society. This is the real this is the real world, you know? Um, and so just making sure that that is part of the uh, ACI experience is important to me. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think that it reminds me of something we spoke about previously, which is like, if you go to these poster presentations at many of these different, for many of these different diseases or conditions, and you look at the breakdown of the study, Oftentimes, like, yes, they will have representation from different groups, but that does not correlate to the actual amount of people that are represented in the condition itself. And I think often there will be like, you know, research groups who think, you know, as long as we we fit this quota, then like we've done our job. But you can imagine if uh, the tables were turned and if there were only, you know, 3% of white participants, even if that actually was the makeup of the condition, it, it probably wouldn't fly right at most of these um, conferences. So I think it's definitely time that we push that envelope and have conversations like these about participation in trials and why things are done the way they are. So it's one of the reasons I think the Institute's doing an amazing job. And I have one question that I was thinking about just back related to CDPR. As you know, patients may be listening who are interested in getting involved in this type of research. Where do you go if you're a patient and you want to participate in something like this? Is there 
a place you can go? Maybe it's your website. Maybe there's like a centralized place for this kind of research. Where would someone go to get involved? Mm-hmm. They can definitely email us. And uh, we do have a longitudinal study. We're hoping to collect it over the next 10 years or just as long as we are here every year. It is on autoimmune quality of life. And so what we're doing is every year we kind of modify the questions to not all the questions, but we do, you know, modify um, some of the questions to to meet whatever's going on. So we talk about the pandemic now. We brought in a couple of questions on that and how that may have delayed um, access to care, access to treatment, anything we may be delaying in, t- in terms of our appointments to specialty care or even primary care. So that's another question we just um, modified just in the past year or added to the survey. But that is an ongoing survey. And it, we want to know about what people's quality of life needs are. Um, so it's a questionnaire. I mean, it has a little bit of, you know, survey um, where you just kind of choose one. But for the most part, we really value the the open box free text. Um, we really want to know the context. And, you know, some, similar to what Melanie was saying, when you are part of the community, you are able to get more insight than the typical researcher coming in from the outside because they trust you. They're going to bring in a little bit more depth of what their experience is like. And so that's what we value so much as well. And um, again, with the CBPR experience, we are not even sure that we can call this CBPR. It's a little more inclusive than CBPR because our nonprofit is uh, by, for, and about autoimmune participation. So we are not outsiders coming in. We're part of the community as well. So we don't necessarily have to build trust We might have to build trust on the institution of research itself, but we are also part of this community. We have our own experiences and feelings and um, things that we want to see better as well. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that even social media as like a microcosm of this or like macrocosm of this example, you know, you see people of different identities that may not be represented in like basic science research come together online and all of a sudden there's so much sharing about like really personal things and personal experiences and journeys that you would never get in like an isolated vacuum. So I think it makes a lot of sense and it sounds like like really exciting work. Leads me to my next question. This year, you know, you had the first ACI Health Equity Summit. It was great. I had so much fun following along and listening to all of um, the thought leaders who were there. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that experience, um, what your goals were and, and how it went. Mm-hmm. It was pretty ambitious, to be honest, because um, I pretty much coordinated all the interviews. Um, I was, oh, and then half of them didn't record well. Um, Zoom decided to um, not show camera for our speakers half of half of the time. And um, we had to redo some of it, about half of it. Um, so that was an experience in itself. But, you know, health equity is, is really the core of what we do, supporting our communities, BIPOC and underrepresented communities in the autoimmune space is the focus of what we do. So it just made sense for us to have this health equity summit. And it's something that we want to continue to do on a regular basis, um, hoping to bring in more people as well to help out with you know, the setup and the facilitation. Um, so the goal is definitely to show what diversity looks like in the autoimmune space. Uh, this year, the focus was on um, thought leaders, as you mentioned, people who are leaders of other communities in the autoimmune space. In the future, I'm interested in just um, bringing in a, a broader range of people who are also just individuals who are you know, advocates in the space. 
um, talking about and just normalizing what it looks like to have an autoimmune condition, right? What it, what does it look like to be sick? What does it look like to be autoimmune? Um, that's really what was important at this time. So the execution was, again, very challenging, but um, we still managed to get most of the interviews redone. Um, there was one that we we just had to put the picture um their photo um, as, you know, again, the, the Zoom camera didn't work. And then the takeaways were just, again, that this is something I believe is just very important. And um, I think our community members enjoyed being part of this as well. Hopefully in the future, we'll all get a chance to meet together. But for now, you know, I'm just really grateful that we have the online option. And so we will continue to do work such as this in the future. That's great. So you touched on kind of some of the things that you want to do in the future, but really kind of zoom out. And what is your vision for the ACI? Like, where do you really see it in like the next five or even 10 years? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of this combination of research and also care, healthcare. So we are actually seeing as a 10 year, maybe I don't know how long it's going to actually take. And we do uh, some of it in the summer. We do envision community health centers with an autoimmune focus. So that's something we've only seen one. I believe it's on the East Coast. It's a private hospital that has an autoimmune center where all these different specialists get together and they can help someone in an autoimmune condition. Uh, so that's something that we think is continuing to grow in importance. Um, we're seeing more of it with COVID even but um, we really want to build these community health clinics with an autoimmune specialty. So it would be based here in Southern California. We envision Atlanta and DC as well. So these are the three places that in our long-term goal, we want to have specialty clinics where people don't have to go and arrange appointments here and there and there and never get a clear diagnosis. Um, having autoimmune specialists together, uh, working on a patient's um, case or their, you know, symptoms and figuring it out together, you know, what this person needs in one building or in one space is something that we envision. So that's something that is our bigger future goal. And again, for the sooner, um, nearer future, just continuing to build community, share representation of autoimmune advocacy support. We do some summer health clinics right now. We did a couple of them last year. We partnered with a university in Mexico who helped us with an online autoimmune health fair. So that was really nice. And so we're looking at things like that as well. A medicine, um, medicine, what is it called? Doctors Without Borders uh, reached out to yeah. us. Um, Are you going to say it in French? I medicine guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was coming out. I heard, I heard it. I was like, I don't, speak, <laughs> I don't speak French. But yeah, that's what I saw. And I mean, that's the name, right? That's the, I guess yeah. it was visual for me, visual thing. Yeah. Doctors Without Medicine, Doctors with outborders, you know, they reached out to us, but that particular group doesn't volunteer in the summer, which is when we do ours. So we'll try and figure it out for the following year, maybe in the spring. But um, again, continuing with the research, the autoimmune quality of life, you know, it'd be wonderful to have these ongoing conferences, having special specialists speak to our community. We have a support group that meets every month. They're meeting again this Saturday. Uh, so it's just community le- community level things like that for now. I am like obsessed with this because I think a big thing is um, 
One, this is really needed to help people get to their autoimmune diagnosis faster, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, most people receive, well, it's not unfortunate, but most people receive their care in the community setting, right? Mm -hmm. And just admittedly, there are just some doctors that may not be up to date in the same way that certain academic research hospitals are with respect to like diagnosing and making sure that they have the proper like tests that are ran and really understanding what is happening with this patient, with the, yes. that patient population. So I absolutely love that. I am curious though, with you having these physical spaces, how do you believe the digital like landscape could be impacted by this? Mm-hmm. And are there any plans for the ACI to work with in the virtual like chronic care space. Mm -hmm. I think it would be crucial. You know, we love telemedicine and what we've been able to do during the pandemic. It's been wonderful to be immunocompromised and not have to go in in person to a doctor's office for just a routine primary care exam even. Uh, So that's been very helpful. But even with specialty care, I've been able to meet with my my specialists uh, online as well. So I mean, there's, there are times when they do want you to go in like for, you know, scans and things, but um, there are times when you can be virtual. And so we want to see how we can continue to build that capacity for sure. So we want to be able to reach out to, you know, people that don't live in those particular states, but those are just the different locations that we see as, you know, hubs for diversity. Um, maybe Miami as well, we're envisioning, but for now we really like the, we love Atlanta. Um, DC is an important place and you know, we love Southern California and, you know, we all serve particular demographics. Um, you know, we have, you know, huge Latinx community here, Atlanta, you know, huge African-American community, DC, just a little bit of everything, right? Also African-American community. And so, yeah, telemedicine is something we, you know, and also traveling clinics, you know, again, like those health fairs, we can do those at different locations. We can have the, you know, the nice van come and visit um, places and So yeah, there are definitely ways we can reach out to a broader community. Yeah, I think that that's something that COVID definitely brought us in a positive way. Even something as small as the mobile testing sites. If we had things like that, you know, the way that they were, at least for me, I live in New York City and every block had a van with free testing for COVID. And I'm imagining, you know, if there are vaccination clinics like that for the flu shot or things like I remember in in the subways near here, if you got um, a flu vaccine, got a free week of subway rides. And I was like, what an incredible public mm-hmm. health initiative that we like, you know, use for so many other different public health things in our world. So I'm excited mm-hmm. about the traveling van you mentioned and all the other things, which brings me into mm-hmm. one of my last question. Yeah. You know, there are so many fun and important and interesting things that you all are doing at the ACI. How can people get connected? I know you mentioned before they can email you. If you can just say uh, or like spell out the, how to get to the website or the social media pages. The website is acicommunity.org. Um, so ACI as an autoimmune community institute and then community all spelled out acicommunity.org. That's our website. You can also find us on um, Twitter, ACI Community, and Instagram, all spelled out, Autoimmune Community Institute. If you're interested in participating in our studies, we're doing a couple of them right now. We're doing one on you know, attitudes and beliefs about the COVID vaccine. We are a public health specialized organization, but we are aware of the fact that 
There are some concerns that people have with autoimmune conditions. We know people who have just distinct fears about allergic reactions and the way that the vaccine may kind of interfere with all of their other medications and put their symptoms off balance. So we know that there are definite um, concerns, um, even if we know that vaccines are effective and, and useful right now and important for stopping the pandemic. So we have that study on what are autoimmune communities thinking about the vaccine? Are they afraid of it? Do they support it? Do they have specific, you know, legitimate concerns about getting the vaccine? So that's one study. Our other study is, as we mentioned, our longitudinal ongoing annual autoimmune quality of life survey. So if you're interested in participating in these, our email is info at acicommunity.org. That is awesome. So a big thing for us is we know it's not just you that gets here by yourself. There's many times you have a support system or people that are just instrumental in making sure you stay sane <laughs> through this incredible like organization that you're building. So we love to give people the opportunity to give a shout out to a person or people that, you know, they want to highlight um, and that have been impactful during your journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So as you know, we're new. We're only about two years old. We're still volunteer, com- completely volunteer based at this time. And so I give so much gratitude to our volunteers, our board members, you know, in particular, Emmett Henderson III, he runs our monthly support group. He's a male lupus warrior and he has helped us so much. Uh, Derek Schmitz, he is, they are, um, someone who is living with autoimmune conditions as well. And they've been a wonderful support for our online uh, initiatives and work. And Daniel O'Leary is another wonderful autoimmune um, advocate and volunteer who is pre-med, getting ready to go to grad school and become med school and become a specialist for autoimmune disease. And we're so grateful for Daniel as well, who runs our blog. So thank you so much to all of your all of you who volunteer with us and our board members. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was so great to hear all about the Institute today and a little bit about you and your life. The work is so exciting and we can't wait to continue to promote it and hopefully have some more collaborations in the future. So thank you, Dr. April, and we hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the Autoimmune Podcast by DrugView. We hope all you warriors, researchers, guests, and listeners who share similar journeys have gained new insights, found answers, and uncovered more questions for next time. Remember to subscribe and join our warriors for another episode of the Autoimmune Podcast, because we're putting the you in autoimmune.